So we continue in our study of 1 John. And, um, you know, one of the things that John's going to talk about has to do with this idea of you know, why Jesus died, but also this, what's supposed to be taking place in our lives. And so, um, some trepidation, I sent this to Cam at the last minute, I don't know if he got it up, but, um, but you know, when I was blessed by you know, having a very beautiful wife and then of course having beautiful children, um, and so I, I would hear a lot um, when people would see our kids, they'd often say, um, you know, wow, they're so beautiful, good thing they look like their mother, right? <laughs> and, you know, try not to be offended. Um, you only hear it so many times, and, you know, but I was okay. But I did some research. And I got science now. Science that says, all you guys who said that, you're wrong. Because science says there's certain things that fathers pass on to their kids. They pass on jaw size, shape of the lips, dimples. And here's the other one, facial symmetry, much more likely. So all of you guys who thought that or said that, you need to take it back. There you go. There's my photo. You need to take that back, because the evidence is clear. They look just like me, all right? <laughs> There's other things fathers tend to pass on. Eating habits, how you handle stress, usage of tech, athleticism. Even the way you treat other people it tends to come from fathers more than than from the mothers. It, uh, you know, I didn't have curly hair, but curly hair from a father is much more likely to be curly hair in a, in a child. Brown hair is dominant, you know, in, especially when it comes from the father. Whether you're right or left-handed, it tends to come from the father. Are you a risk taker? Do you have humor, intelligence? All of these, you know, even your sleep patterns. And so it's something we know. Mothers contribute something, fathers contribute something. But that there are things that we, we can know about someone's parents just by looking at the child. And it's important. It's important for us to remember that because that gets back to that, that um, biblical principle that we talked about before, you know, last week, about like begets like, that things that produce something produce the same kind of thing. And so today, John is going to build on that a little bit more. And he's actually going to be talking about two things simultaneously. And one of the things he's going to be talking about is, is who is your father? Who is your father? Your father is not who you say it is. Your father is the one that your life, your actions, your thoughts, your habits, what you value, what that reflects, that's who your father is. And he's also going to ask the question of, who's your master? Who's your Lord? And this is, the, this is a truth that comes from the Bible. And it's a truth that people in the world today, largely, and even a lot of Christians, will argue against. 
And the truth is this, everyone has a master. And the Bible really only gives us two choices of masters. And everyone has a father. And the Bible only gives us two choices for who the father is. And again, we don't like this because, especially as Americans, like we're, you know, we're free, we're individuals. I, you know, I don't answer to no, to, to no one. I don't answer to anyone. This is me. I live my life the way I want to live my life. And, you know, I, when I talk to young people about this, because they in particular will, will, will you know, feel this way, but I could say this about anyone, that, that we are influenced and we are controlled in ways that we, we don't even know. We think we come to these certain conclusions. We think that, that we, we buy certain products or choose certain things just based on our own free will, and it's just not true. Um, companies spend billions of dollars understanding you and understanding how to sell things to you. It's not purely your choice. We think it is, but it's really not. And that's just one thing. There's so many other things that, that we are, that we're controlled by. And part of the heart of the gospel message is saying, guys, you have to choose the right Lord. You have to choose the right master. And it's important when we think about father and we think about master. Like we said, father tells us you know, where we're from, what our nature is. Master, the way it's used in the Bible with Lord, and especially when talking about Jesus, talks about who we're becoming. So who are we becoming? Because in, in that day, the, the image that, um, that John has in his mind is, is the image of, of the teacher with the disciples. That, that the disciples were, were actually following the teacher around. And they weren't just trying to get information from the teacher. They were wanting to be like the teacher. And so that's what it meant to follow. Follow wasn't just a physical action of following. It was to be like. So you're, you're learning to be like. And so when we talk about you know, a master, it's the one we're becoming like. So father and, and lord, father and master, where we're from, telling us who we are today, where we're going. Well, this all kind of ties into this idea of the healthy church. Remember, that's what we're talking about. That what we're, you know, what our focus on is what the Bible focuses on. The Bible doesn't focus on how big a church is, how many people, how many baptisms, all of that. The Bible says, be healthy. Be healthy. And if, if healthy is 10, 12, 15 people, be healthy. If healthy is 1,000, 5,000 people, be healthy. The most important thing is that we are a, a healthy church. And as we've discovered, as we've gone through scripture, you know, what a healthy church is, how a healthy church is described, 
back in Romans 12 and moving forward, is that it is a community of disciples, disciples of Jesus, people following Jesus. He's their Lord. They're becoming like him. But it's also a community. It's not just individuals on their individual path, um, you know, following Jesus and then bumping in together once in a while. It's, it's interesting that what Jesus tells his followers after he dies and resurrects, he doesn't say, hey guys, now that you guys all saw me and, and you know, resurrected, why don't you guys just go scatter? Go scatter all over the known world because you got me, you got the Holy Spirit. You know, Bible tells us in, in the upper room, Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into, into the apostles. Why don't you guys just scatter? Just go. Go do your own thing. No, he says, go gather together. Go gather together. And it wasn't until, you know, after a while of being together that then groups started to go and, and spread to other parts of the empire, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's this thing about being together, this community of faith. And that's what we're, we're called to be. So when, we look, when we're looking at 1 John, John is trying to tell us, okay, you know, you guys understand that part. Now we have to understand what is a true disciple and what is a false one? And part of the answer is found in who is your father and who is your Lord? So John continues to develop this argument in this letter. And remember, he's writing especially about these false teachers who've come into the church. And the false teachers who've come in are these, um, they're what we call in you know, academic circles, proto-Gnostics. They're not full-on Gnostics. They're going to come in about 50 years, but they're like early forms. And they have certain beliefs that they hold to, and they, they can't let go of them. And so when, when Christian teaching comes in like opposing, contradicting their, their beliefs, their Gnostic beliefs, they don't they don't change their Gnostic beliefs. They try to reinterpret Christianity. And that's causing problems, and we're going to see some of that in a minute. So in 1 John chapter uh, 3, verses 4 through 10, John says this, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he was born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, 
nor is the one who does not love his brother. You know, again, I've told you before, like a lot of times people have the impression of John as being kind of the kind of wimpy, weak apostle. That doesn't sound like that here. It hasn't really sounded like this throughout the whole letter. John is coming out swinging from the first, from the greeting. The hello that he gives at the beginning of the letter is, is a hello that says, hello, Christians. The Gnostics are wrong. That's what he says. He doesn't say it that way. He says it in a different way. But that's what he's doing from the very beginning. And here he's saying things that we don't like to hear. We don't like to say these things. We don't want to say like, oh, someone's a child of the devil. You know, we don't like to say, oh, if you're not being righteous, then you're lawless. It sounds kind of harsh to us. And remember that the harshness that, that, we, that we hear in this, and the reason we don't like to say it, partly comes because we don't necessarily really understand the context within which John is, is, is speaking, teaching. But make no mistake, it is harsh. And the reason it's harsh is because the threat to the church is so great that John is not going to like soften it. He's not going to, to kind of ease into it. He wants to make sure it's really clear because if they get this wrong, we wouldn't be here. If Christianity got wrong certain key beliefs, we would not be in this place. Christianity continues not because God just magically held it up. God did do so much through his spirit. But it's because the church held to the right beliefs. Even sometimes when the church went astray in other areas, they still held to the right beliefs. The right beliefs, they matter. Because remember, the whole title of the series is The Truth We Live. If we don't have the truth, what we live is not going to be Christianity. And vice versa, if we're living something other than Christianity, we really don't believe Christianity. We believe whatever is more reflected in our lives. That's what John is doing here. And he's, he's using this term lawlessness because, you know, one of the kind of, you know, Gnosticism is a very broad um, grouping, and there's a lot of groups in Gnosticism. They didn't even agree themselves on different things. But one of the common beliefs was, was this what's called um, dualism. In other words, there is um, good and evil. And you might go, well, I believe in good and evil. Does that mean I'm a Gnostic? Well, maybe. Um, if you believe that there are evil forces in the universe that are rival powers to good. So if you believe God is good and you believe there's, there's evil out there that's a threat to God. If you believe that, you could be a Gnostic. But if you understand what the Bible says, the Bible doesn't really give us that kind of worldview. It tells us God is all-powerful. God is sovereign over all. And yes, evil exists, but it's not a threat to God. It's not rival powers vying for you know, supremacy in the universe and, oh, if we're not careful, evil is going to win. No. That was a Gnostic view. And 
And what they did was they associated everything spiritual, everything having to do with knowledge and you know, spirit and, and you know, things that weren't tangible, they associated that with good. And they associated everything that was physical with evil. So matter is evil, including flesh. It's all evil. And again, there's huge variation of, of how this came out in different Gnostic groups. But the two extreme positions were, if matter is good, I mean, if, um, if spiritual is good and matter is evil, then, then we're not going to have anything to do with the material. And so they would become this big fancy word that you may know. It's, they would become ascetics. Ascetics is this word that means self-denial. So they would deny themselves. You know, they would kind of remove themselves from society. They wouldn't, you know, they would only eat minimally and, you know, just get by because they didn't want to have anything to do with that evil physical world. Well, there was the other extreme. The other extreme was the spiritual is good, the physical is evil, the spiritual is so good and so powerful that they really can't mix. So what I do in my physical life doesn't really affect what I do in my spiritual life, so I can do whatever I want. And that's the term lawlessness. You know, it's this fancy term, antinomianism. Just means without law. And so he's writing because this tendency, this conclusion is already there among Gnostic teaching. He's trying to tell them, like, like lawlessness is not Christianity. Lawlessness is not God's truth. And he's trying to help them understand righteousness is God's truth. It does matter what you do in the physical world with your flesh. Those things do matter. And so he's re, you know, reconnecting that for them. And we also have to understand some things about lawlessness. Now, in John's mind, when he says lawless, he's not using lawless the way we would, where we think of law being some general thing about law, whether it's American law, Hawaii law, whatever. He's not just thinking about law in general. He's not saying these people um, don't obey or adhere to any set of rules. No, John's mind is he's talking about, he's talking about God's law. So he's saying they are without God's law. They are, they are I don't even know if we can say it, like, uh, makes sense, but like, it's God's lawlessness. It's not lawlessness. It's, it's, the, it's not having the divine law. And why is that important? Well, that's important because it goes back to what I said at the beginning, that everybody has a master. If you could truly be lawless, if it was possible, then you could truly be free. You could truly do whatever you wanted without any kind of authority or rules or anything that you're adhering to. But it's not possible. And so what, what is possible? What's possible is that if we're going to be lawless without God's law, then we're going to adopt another law. 
And it may be a law that we think we made up, but I can almost guarantee you that any law that you say you think you made up, in history it's been repeated again and again and again. Any philosophy you think, I adhere to this philosophy, that again has been repeated again and again and again and again. As the Bible tells us in one place, there's nothing new under the sun. So, lawless means without God's law, and that means we adhere to some other law. And we all do. There's something that we do that, that motivates us, that drives us. If we're not following God's law, and remember, God's law is, is founded in love. It's saturated with love. And it's that divine love, that unconditional, sacrificial love. But if I'm without that, and I adopt another, another law, I follow another law. And that's John's point. And John is, is trying to help them understand and, you know, this point that, you know, that we see going all the way back to the, we find in the Old Testament. And that's why in, later on he's going to repeat what he's already said, like, I'm not telling you anything new. This isn't new. It's new to you because you've misunderstood it. But it's not new. It's old. It's older than all of us. He's going to go back to what Jesus said. He's going to go back to, um, you know, what Paul says. And, and that we, we, you know, in our Sunday school class, we've been studying James, what James says. And to kind of sum it up this way, he's saying that without love, without love, you are not keeping God's law. You can say, well, I, you know, I, I didn't murder, I didn't steal, I didn't commit adultery, I didn't even have lustful thoughts, I didn't have hateful thoughts. It doesn't matter. God's law includes, as the most important law, to love God with all that you are and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's fundamental. And that means that's everything else we do in keeping the law is motivated by that. There's kind of no way around that. And so here we see, we see three of the false teachings now from, the, from these, these proto-Gnostics. The one we saw from the very beginning is Jesus is not fully human. They, they could accept that Jesus was God, Son of God, divine, but they couldn't accept that he was fully human, again, because the material, spiritual, good, evil thing. The second thing that we saw that they taught was that we can be sinless, that we can somehow be without sin. And John has already said, no. And by the way, keep that in mind. That's really important to keep in mind that John says you can't be sinless, especially when he starts saying that people who don't practice righteousness are children of the devil. Um, and then the third thing is, what we're finding here is, we don't have to follow God's law. We don't, we, we, we can, you know, we can follow some other code. It's okay. So we go back and we look at, you know, closer look at what the text says. And my, 
you know, my title for the text is kind of a question that I think must have been rattling around in John's head that, that, that especially when he's trying to explain this to people and people are saying, oh, but, but, but what if, or you know, the, the, the false, you know, the, they didn't call them false teachers, but these other teachers, they said this and, and everything else that, that John would, in his exasperation, just want to say, you do know why Jesus died, don't you? You do know why he died. Have you forgotten why he died? Because all these other things you're saying, if you remember why he died, you would not think these things are valid. So why? Well, John reminds us. He reminds us in verse 4. He says, um, you know, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. That's the first thing. Why did Jesus die? Jesus, Jesus came to take away sins. If he came to take away sins, why do you think it's okay to continue sinning? Why do you think it's okay to continue to practice sinning if that's what Jesus came to do? Again, if you're not calling yourself Christian, if you're not calling yourself a disciple, a follower of Christ, someone who has faith, okay, we get that. But John is talking to the church here, and it's this church of people who, who claim to be followers of Christ, who claim to be his disciples, who claim to be wanting, you know, having been changed by, by the Holy Spirit, and that they're new, and that they, they, they want to live their lives for him. He's saying, okay, you guys, don't you remember why Jesus died? So when that teacher tells you that unrighteousness is okay, it's not. Don't you know why Jesus died? And so for him, these questions are almost questions like, you know, he, he's, I think sometimes John is thinking like, I wish I didn't have to ask these questions, but I have to. I have to. You know, there's, I, don't, I can't remember his name, but there was this football coach whose team was doing really poorly. And so, you know, he, he, they were having a bad season, losing, and so he realized they needed to get back to the basics. And what he does is, you know, in the locker room, he holds up a football and he says, this is a ball. All right, guys, this is the ball. Should he have to tell them that? No. But the way they were playing got them, you know, got them to the point where they, they forgot what they were doing, why they were out there. And so John is kind of like that. Like, I don't think I should have to say this, but I do. <laughs> because these people keep saying, oh, but what if? Or, but, but, I, but I heard this, and... And everything else, and so he's, he's saying, if you claim to be a disciple of Christ, how can we persist in sin? And remember, this is the same John that says, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and you're calling God a liar. So he, he's recognizing that we do sin, but he's drawing this distinction between um, sinning and persisting in sin, you know, practicing sin. And when I was younger, 
much younger, high school, you know, I would hear people talk about this. And my immediate question is, how many times do I do it before I'm practicing it? You know, I was pretty sure like, oh, I could sin once and that'd be okay. Maybe twice. But at what point am I actually practicing it? Again, wrong way to think about it. It's really not what John has in mind. He doesn't have in mind some number and now, okay, now you're practicing. That, that, that other word that he uses, continue in or persist in as it's, as it's um, translated in some places. It has less to do with the actions and the number of times you commit something and it has more to do what's, with what's in your heart and your attitude. That do you, does it even bother you? Or have you really worked hard to explain away the word of God that, that directly addresses this? You know, do, do you even have inside of you that, that if you're doing something that you have this, like, I wish I could stop, but I cannot. I need help. Do you at least have that? Is there at least some struggle at some level or have you just said, hey, is this is who I am? Yeah, I got a bad temper, but that's okay. Everybody's got their thing, I got my thing, bad temper. Practicing sin, persisting in sin, it's less about the number of times we sin and it's more about what's in our heart, what's in our mind. And remember, by the way, that when we talk about sin, and especially when we use that hamartia, the missing of the mark, understand that that means not just, sinning is not just doing things God says don't do, but sinning is also not doing things that we should do. And some of those things are very specific. They're, they're clear in scripture. They're, they're, everybody should be, you know, wanting to, you know, as a Christian, we should, be, we should be in God's word, you know, we should be caring for one another, loving one another, it's all there. And then some things are more specific to you that may not be specific to me or specific to me or not specific to you. But I think this is the problem that we have. Most of us don't have a problem with most of the Ten Commandments, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna brag on you guys for a little while. You don't have a problem with any of the Ten Commandments, we'll just assume that. We have a problem on the other side. We have a problem on the other side where, where we're okay with not doing everything that God wants us to do. We're okay with, with you know, just kind of studying God's word, but not really hungering and thirsting for it. We're okay with just kind of putting up with each other and treating each other with courtesy, but not really loving one another. We're okay with that. We're okay with, you know, doing some things. We're okay with maybe trying to live a consistent Christian life, but, but never, ever, ever speaking about it and telling others. And, and again, this isn't, you know, it, it, isn't a, it, it isn't like a list of 
rules to make you a good Christian. But these are things that, as we grow in our faith, should be kind of naturally produced from us. And we become okay with not doing them. Not just this church, but a lot of churches are okay with what we are. They hear stuff that I'm saying. If their pastor is preaching what I'm saying, if they hear it somewhere else, they're like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, that, that whole body of Christ, community, you know, rejoice in each other's joy and grieve with one another when you mourn and, and you know, and, and serving one another and building each other up and edifying and, and having that, that kind of intimacy and closeness. Those are all great things. I love to read about them in the Bible, but, but we're okay. We're okay. And we've been okay for 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. We're okay. Remember, accepting less than what God has, has, has instructed us to do is hamartia. And we shouldn't be okay with it. And so Jesus is saying, if we claim to be his disciples, how can we persist in sin? If we claim to be his disciples, how can we be okay if our church isn't as healthy as it can be? How can we be okay? If we claim that his victory over, that he has victory over sin, how, we, how can we persist in sin? If we claim we have his spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, that we've been transformed, that we've been made a new creation, how can we persist in sin? John's saying, I don't know. I don't know how you can. He's saying, I can't. And again, I'm not talking about all of a sudden, you know, oh, now we're all going to suddenly be a healthy church. But the question is, does it bug you? When you look at who we are, and I'm just going to talk about us because we're here. You know, I, if I was at another church, I'd be talking about them. But I'm talking about us because we're here. And as good as we are, and I think we're good in so many ways as a church, but as good as we are, how many of us are just, I'm okay with it? Or how many of us does it bug us? And we don't maybe know what to do. We don't necessarily know what the next steps are, but it bugs us that we want to be even healthier. That no matter how good we might think we are, that we want to be gooder, better. Or are we okay with it? What's the second thing he says he came to do? It says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the power of sin. And again, we talked about sin. And, and when we hear the word devil, it's just like when we hear the word evil. And we talked about this Wednesday night. Again, advertisement. You want more background. You want more Bible study rather than me just talking about it and moving on. Come Wednesday night. Okay? But we talked about this. Devil and evil. We immediately go to extreme forms of evil and extreme, you know, the worst things that the devil is. That's what we think. 
And we think like, that's what devil is, that's what evil is. So then when we read John say this, we go, ooh, that's hard. And remember, he's talking about people that the other people in the church liked. They were their friends. But they were teaching something false. So when he says, you're children of the devil, what is he saying? He's not saying they were murderous, hateful people that were, that were trying to destroy the church. And that's what we think of. But he was saying, you know what was reflected in their lives? Or better, you know what was not reflected in their lives? God's love. His never-failing, unconditional love. That wasn't reflected. If they were children of the Father, and the Father is the God who is love, who, which John will say in the next chapter, if you're children of the Father and his nature is love, guess what your nature is going to be? That's how he says it. He's not saying it like they're terrible, evil people in the sense we think of terrible and evil. He's saying that if they were from the Father, from the God who is love, they would love. And that love would never fail. And it would be unconditional. So, again, get out of your heads the idea that, that he's just throwing a big bomb, just, you know, making, you know, this outrageous statement. And understand that, that we, are, we are okay when we think about Jesus came to destroy to pay the penalty for our sins. We're okay when we think Jesus came to, to take away the eternal consequences of our sin. We like that. But the part we struggle with is this, that Jesus also came to break the power of sin right now. So if Jesus came to break the power of sin and we are persisting in sinning, we can't blame sin anymore. Because Jesus, if we're believers in Christ, when we had faith in Jesus Christ, he broke the power. So if we're still sinning, it's not the devil's fault. It's not evil's fault. He's saying it's us. And his question would be, if Jesus destroyed the power of sin, why are we still controlled by it? The last point is this. And again, it sounds so harsh, and we don't like this, and we like to try to smooth it out, and we like to try to explain it away, but John says it. He says it there in the last verse. And it's simply this. You're not a Christian if you do not practice righteousness and you do not love your fellow Christians. And you're not a Christian. It's not you're a bad Christian. He's saying you are not one. Get that. It's not me saying it. I don't know. I'm not saying any of you are not Christians. I'm just saying what John says is if you don't practice righteousness, and by practice righteousness again, well, we talked about righteousness not last week. Right actions done for the right purpose with the right heart. 
God's actions done for God's purposes with God's heart. That's righteousness. So if, if we are going to practice righteousness, it's not simply like, oh, I'm going to do good things. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to you know, give to charity. I'm going to you know, help you know, people who are you know, less fortunate. No, that's not acts of righteousness. It's not righteous in God's eyes unless it's done for the right purpose with the right heart. Those three things have to come together. And he says, if you're a Christian, those things will come together. If you're not a Christian, you may do right actions, but you won't have the right heart or you won't do them for the right purpose. You may even have your heart in the right place, but it's not going to result in the right actions. Again, it's hard when we see him say these things. But he's explaining it to us. He's saying he actually uses the word, which, you know, in the Greek, it's the word sperma. And yes, that's exactly where we get the word from. But it doesn't say that in the Bible because people would like, so it says seed. The same thing. He's saying, you have God's seed. You have his nature in you. You are his child. You have the righteous nature in you. That's what you would practice. And then he says love. John always comes back to love. And again, it's because he's going to say that everyone born of God knoweth God, one who loves because God is love. Not love is God, just keep that in mind, but there's something fundamental about the character attributes of God that can be summed up in the word love. And so if we have truth written on our hearts, that truth is not just words, it's not just beliefs, it's not just facts, but it's love. And see, when we hear from God's, when, when we hear from God's word, we hear from his truth, what John has been saying is, he keeps appealing to this in the people. He says, you know that what I'm saying is true. You know it, not because I'm saying it so well, but because you really have been changed and God's law is written in your heart and what I'm saying is meeting that law that's written in your heart and now you know, you know. And that helps us understand this, that without love, we cannot keep God's commandments, but that we cannot love without God in our lives. And that only happens when God truly becomes your father, and he truly becomes your father when he gives you his nature and that nature comes when you have faith in Jesus Christ, when you understand that you indeed are a sinner and that you confess that to God. And God's not like shocked, like, you? Really? You're a sinner? Wow. Didn't see that? No, God goes, yeah, I knew. Glad you finally agreed. And you say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. I don't want to live according to these other laws. I want to live according to your righteousness. I want to have your heart. 
I want to understand your purposes. And I want to live that way. Who's your father? Who's your Lord? Remember, Father tells us who we're from. Our Lord tells us who we're becoming. Our prayer today is that we are reminded again that as believers in Christ, our Father is God, and that we've been given his very nature, and our Lord is Jesus. And if we're following him, we become more like him every moment, every day. 